Well, good morning. Welcome. Lovely to see you and welcome and lovely to see or almost see those of you joining us online. Um, well, we're continuing in our new series in the letter of James. And uh, well, let's just pray before we come to God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a revealing God, that we see you in your creation, we see you in your word, and we see you, most of all, in the person of Jesus. We thank you for all that you are revealing to us in him, through your living word. And Lord, we come to your um, inscripturated word, your word here before us. And we ask that you would give us open ears and minds and hearts to receive from you this morning. We pray you'd help Brian um, keep his voice going and keep him, keep him uh, you know, fired up. And uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. And whether it's through Brian or just your spirit speaking to us, would you... Speak to me, each one of us might say in our hearts this morning. Speak to me, I'm hungry, Lord. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your word for me this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his kingdom in our lives. Amen. Amen. So, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We start at verse 2. I've actually been given verses 2 to 18, so I've got an apology. There's no way I could cover all that this morning. So I'm going to focus and read from 2 to 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So this passage opens, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. The Greek word there for trials, it's a rich word. Behind it, it means temptations, setbacks, afflictions, adversity, trouble. Jules! I've crashed the car. Yippee! I've just got my result from the GP and my PSA is now over 200, so I've almost certainly got prostate cancer. Whoa! Yeehaw! The pain from my arthritis is unbearable. How wonderful. My boss already thinks I'm an idiot, and now I've really made the most terrible faux pas. Hallelujah! I have this addiction, this really ugly, sinful addiction, and I try and try as I may, I just can't get free of it. Why? Well, is that what he's saying? That Christianity is some kind of masochism? What's he saying? It seems, on the face of it, ridiculous. But read on. What's the next word? 
count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because here it is, reasoning, thinking. You know, Christianity isn't take out your brain. It's all about thinking, reasoning, because... There's an explanation here. Because you know the testing of your faith. He's talking about your faith. The testing of your faith. Like, is there a God? Does he love me? Has everyone turned off their phones? <laughs> is, is he able to care for me? <sighs> you know, when you see or experience disaster, yours or, or someone else's, Satan's always there to whisper, how could God let this happen? Is he powerless or is he uncaring? Or does he even exist? Theologians call this problem theodicy. It means literally the defense of God. It goes like this. God is all-loving. God is all-powerful. And terrible things happen. It's a problem. And some people, many people, have lost their faith because they've been unable to come to grips with that problem. And notice, it doesn't say, consider it pure joy if you face trials. It says when. We all suffer trials. So we better pay attention. As Christians, are we kept protected from disaster? You'll know that lovely verse, Romans 8, 28. It's a blessing box verse. All things work together for good for those who love God. It says all things, even those who love God. Christians experience all things. All things happen to Christians. The same terrible things, disasters, setbacks, accidents, sickness, cancer. They happen, that happen to anybody and everybody, happen to Christians. But for a moment, let's just ask a different question. Why? Why do disasters, setbacks, accidents, sickness, cancer happen at all? James is talking about faith. He knows by faith there is a God and he is a God of love. And he is all-powerful. He is a good, good God. And out of his infinite love, he created. He created a perfect world for us. As James says a little later down in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. But creation, once declared good, 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 is no longer as the Father intended. It is spoilt. It is fallen. Why? It's fallen because he gave the earth over to man's care. And man decided to go his own way. And as sin entered creation, so did the consequences. Suffering, sickness, and setbacks come from the fall. In my 20s, I had a wonderful mentor. Doug was the head of the Navigator Missionary Organization for Europe, Middle East, and Asia. And their offices at that time were in New Malden. And his home was in New Malden. And Doug kind of 
became my friend. In fact, on the Wednesday, the 7th of June, 1972, three days before my wedding to my first wife, Doug's lovely wife, Leela, and the mother of his four children, was taken. She died of cancer. But in spite of that, three days later, on the Saturday, he came, not to reception, but he came to the wedding. And I had chosen, I was a very silly young man, and because I was getting married, I chose this hymn, In Heavenly Love Abiding, No Change My Heart Shall Fear. For safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, low may my heart be laid, but God is round about me, and shall I be dismayed? And Doug shared with me later how God really spoke to him and comforted him through the words of that hymn. Some years later, Doug's third child, Karen, was by then a young a married woman with a, a baby, and she was driving home one night, a dark night, raining. The baby was actually in the baby seat in the back, and a drunken driver coming in the opposite direction, round a curve, was in the wrong side of the road, and Karen was killed. The baby survived. The driver, it wasn't his first offence, and he received a custodial sentence, and Doug went to visit him in prison. And after some visits, that young man came to faith in Jesus. All things work together for good. So shall we say that the Lord took Karen's life so that he could work it out and bring good? No. God didn't take Karen's life. The fall took Karen's life. But God in his divine alchemy can turn bad things for good. God's love is absolute, unconditional, and unchanging. But so is his decision to put earth in the care of mankind and to give us, mankind, free will so that each of us can choose to rebel and go his own way or to love and follow and enjoy God. Every decision we make is an affirmation of God's gift to us of free will. Every decision we make has consequences. Creation retains so much of the beauty, the wonder and the fullness that God created, but it's not as he intended. Because of sin, in the words of Romans 8, even creation groans. There is sickness, pain, disaster, hatred, premature death. As James says down in verse 15, sin gives birth to death. Because of the fall, bad things happen. And they even happen to good people. That's the first thing. Secondly, but why count it a reason for joy? What is he talking about? He says, consider it pure joy. What is this it? The it isn't the bad thing, the adversity. The it is the experience of it, 
the process, the it that you count as joy is the how you process, how you react, how you respond. Now, my, my wife, Julie, my lovely wife, Julie, she has many wonderful virtues. I'm going to get into trouble for this. <laughs> um, and patience really isn't one of them. And when, when a situation occurs where I can see that Julie needs to exercise a bit of patience, I think, and I, I, I'm sometimes tempted to say, do you know what? The Lord has just created for you a gym. This is the patience gym where you can exercise your patience muscles. James says, consider it pure joy, brothers, because... He doesn't say when life goes belly up, just think happy thoughts. He says, consider... Because, because you know that the testing of your faith does something. What does it do? He says it develops something. It develops perseverance. And verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We have to understand that through suffering and trials, great things can happen in our lives. Some seasons in life feel like summer. Some seasons in our lives feel like winter. Some of you may feel you're in summer at the moment, and some of you might feel you're in a real winter season. You know when they cut down a great tree, and you, you see the stump. What do you see? You see all those rings, don't you? And we understand every ring, is a, you can tell the age of the tree. But you see the lighter rings. They're the fat rings. They give the tree bulk. They grow in the summer. That's the summer growth. But the thin rings are the hard rings. They're the rings that actually the part of the tree that gives it strength. If it wasn't for the thin rings, the tree would fold over. And when do the thin rings grow? Bless you, bless you. The thin rings, when do the thin rings grow? They grow in the? Thank you. You have to see the bigger picture, especially when you're in a winter season. You have to see that God can work it for good. He says, count it pure joy because these trials, these testing times, are unique opportunities for something of immense value to emerge and grow within you, within your character. He's saying, you can handle these tough times so much better if you understand they are like a God-given gym for the development of your perseverance muscles. And you can say, I am going to handle those tough times so much better because I understand they are like a God-given gym for the development of my perseverance muscles. You know, this is an important word here, perseverance. It's also translated endurance. It's the Greek word in the original hypermene. Hypermene, hyper, which means super, right? Like in hypersensitive, super, 
hyper, intense. And mene, it means to stand. So what is endurance, hypermene? It means to stand your ground, to hyperstand, to superstand. Do you know there's, there's a lot of research now into the primary determinants of success. Examining people who've achieved success in a wide range of fields. So researchers have looked at lots of people who've achieved success to look for the common characteristic. What was the determinant of success? What was the determinant of achievement? What was it most closely related to? Was it IQ? Was it education? Was it good looks? Do you know what it was? It was, they call it, grit. Resilience, stickability, tenacity, keeping going, superstanding. James says, when suffering comes to you, rejoice because it's an opportunity to superstand. What does that mean? Well, were you praying before the trouble came? Were you going to church before the trouble came? Were you obeying the Ten Commandments? Were you loving your neighbor before the trouble came? Were you giving systematically to the Lord's work before the trouble came? Were you reading a Bible before the trouble came? Good! Well, keep on doing those things. Don't stop. Just stand your ground. Because if you don't, if you retreat from those things, from standing your ground, do you know what happens? You'll start blaming you'll start blaming God. You'll become misshapen, anxious, depressed. But if you stand your ground, if you keep on praying, and yes, it will be more difficult, and if you keep on loving your neighbor, and yes, it'll be more difficult, and if you keep on caring about other people, and it will be more difficult, the suffering process will have its full effect. It will change you, and not for the bad, but for the good, into a more mature, complete person. God's Spirit is at work in you, and especially at those times, and He wants to make you great. He can especially use those times when you think you're at your limit. If you let Him, if you superstand. And that's the second thing. But beyond that, this word consider, it also points to the one who superstood, who persevered for you. In Hebrews 12:3, we're entreated, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there it is, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. There it is, hypermene, he endured, it's the same word, he Superstood. You see it in the films, movie after movie, whether it's Bruce Willis or Kevin Costner or back when it was John Wayne. 
If the others are going to escape, I'm going to have to stay here. On comes the lethal onslaught of the enemy. They keep coming, they keep coming, and they keep coming. And the hero, he stays there. He stands his ground. He super stands. He says, for the love of the people who are escaping, I'm going to stand. The enemy is coming. And the hero, what does he do? He takes it to save the others, the ones he loves. He super stands. Why did Jesus stand and take hell itself, the wrath of God? Because he loved us. Because he loves you. God poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus didn't let go. He stood. He super stood. Steadfast love. Now Jesus comes to you and me. And he says, consider, look, look what I endured for you. Can you see, can you see what my perseverance resulted in? Look at how I loved you. Look at how I superstood for you. You know now that there's no condemnation for you. You don't get judged. You don't get condemned. You have a new life. You have eternal life. Why is that? Because I superstood. I endured. That's why today you can know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know today that Jesus loves you and will always love you? Do you know how you can be sure of that? Because he superstood against all of hell. It's like God dropped an atom bomb on Jesus and he superstood. And there's nothing you can do to shake him off. If Jesus' love is that great, if he endured that for you, don't imagine for one moment that your little sins are going to wear him out or scare him away. Jesus is saying, through my suffering, I persevered so you could go free. Now I want you to be ready to persevere, to, if necessary, suffer for me. You're not married, and you want to be. You're not promoted, and you want to be. You don't have many friends, and you want to have many friends. You're sick. You're facing death. It feels like winter. Well, Jesus says, superstand. Stand your ground, because I will be with you. If you were praying before this thing hit you, keep praying. If you were studying the Bible before this thing hit you, keep studying the Bible. If you were being kind to other people before, if you were obeying the Ten Commandments before, keep on. Just do what I did. Stand your ground. Superstand. And what will happen if you do? Wisdom will come to you. You'll become humbler. You'll become more compassionate. You'll become more faithful. Let the trial do its work. Let the testing of your faith, hard and painful as it may be, make you stronger in Jesus. Mature, complete and lacking nothing.
So our learning today that we have from this passage isn't only I can persevere in the face of trials because it will ultimately make me a better person. It's I can persevere in the face of trials because Jesus persevered for me. Jesus superstood for me. He took it all, all my sin, all your sin. He took it all for me. And that's the third thing. Moving on to verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. It's very interesting. In this context, there's that promise. If you ask for wisdom, it will be given to you. But it's important to understand this is not talking about wisdom in general or even prayer in general. We have to read it in context. It's talking about when you get into suffering, when you get into troubles, into affliction. The thing you need most is wisdom. To a great extent, what makes suffering what makes suffering suffering and what makes troubles troubling is not the event itself. It's what we tell ourselves about the event. It's how we interpret the event. The wisdom with which we receive the event. The beliefs and attitudes through which we see the suffering, the adversity, the trouble, the testing event. Simple illustration. Here's room 42 in your bog-standard two-star hotel. And you usher in a newlywed couple. They've just, it's their honeymoon. They've just been married this afternoon. And you open the door and you say, would you like to stay here? And they walk in and they look around and what do they say? What a dump. Find us another room. But say after they left, there's a man who's been convicted and sentenced to prison. And you bring him to the same room 42. And you open the door and you say, would you like to stay here? And he looks around. What does he say? He says, wow, great, yes. The couple looked at the same room and they said, oh, this is disappointing. This is troubling. This is awful. This is wrong. Somebody else walked in and said, this is wonderful. Why the difference? Well, they interpreted it differently. They received it with different perspectives. They considered it differently. They had different expectations. They had a different sense of what they were entitled to. Now, I'm not saying that like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that how you experience adversity is just entirely subjective. But I am trying to show that how we experience pain and troubles has to do with the wisdom with which we receive those things. What, what determines whether you face adversity with peace and grow in it, or face it with despair 
and are destroyed by it. It's the wisdom with which you receive and experience it. There's God's wisdom, the word of the Lord, a wisdom that you can ask for. And God promises in his word that he will give it to you if you ask believing, not in a double-minded or doubting way. And there is the world's wisdom, a wisdom of my rights, a wisdom of my entitlement, a wisdom of someone should fix this for me. And to the extent that you hold to the world's wisdom, suffering, when it comes, will be unhelpful and unbearable. Whether you can bear it, whether you can superstand, whether you can grow in it, depends entirely not on the event, not on the adversity, but how you interpret the event, how you understand the event, the wisdom that you bring to it. That's the fourth thing. And finally, there's another thing. When, when real adversity hits, be it serious illness, physical disaster, or the life of a loved one is hanging in the balance, what do you do? What does almost everyone do? You know, there's a saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. You turn to God. You pray. C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences. But he shouts in our pains. And for any Christian, in adversity, if we turn to God in faith, we can experience him. We can experience the Lord at a different, deeper level. His promises are true. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 41.10, if you're making notes. God's promises are true. He says, I will not, Jesus said, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Richard Wormbrand was a Lutheran minister. And when his home country, Romania, was occupied by communist, atheistic, Soviet Union, in 1944, and the church was put under state control, Wormbrand established and led an illegal underground church. After his second arrest, he was sentenced to 25 years in solitary confinement in a cell 30 feet underground. No sound, no light, no windows. He maintained his sanity by composing and delivering a sermon every night. He was beaten and tortured. His body bore the scars of physical torture for the rest of his life. Now, in reference to his long years in prison, he writes, Alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I dance for joy 
every night. Sometimes I was so filled with joy that I felt I would burst if I didn't give it expression. Wormbrand endured. He grew strong. He superstood. He grew complete. He grew mature. And he danced for joy. And the source of his joy was the assurance of his faith and the presence with him of his Lord. Perhaps the worship team would like to start coming forward. Now, let me just say for any of you who are facing a trial at the moment, may you find strength to superstand. And may you also find comfort in God's word. In Isaiah 43, we read, But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Derek, <laughs> Chris, it's your name in there, Denise. This is what the Lord says, He who created you, your name. He who formed you, your name. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I will be with you. So, my brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trials of all and any kind because you know, and now you really should know, that this process of testing your faith produces perseverance, also known as endurance, resilience, tenacity, the capacity to superstand. Let this perseverance of yours finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And remember, when a trial, when adversity, when pain, when setback, when that accident, that illness comes, it's all about the wisdom which you receive and experience it by. And if any of you lacks wisdom in that situation, ask God, because he gives generously. And it will be given to you. Amen.